Um, my name is Jake Smith, and I'm one of the student pastors here, but today I get to preach in big church, which is so fun. I always love being here. Um, so I'm just grateful to give a message that God has placed on my heart um, just to share with you today. But before I begin, I'd love to just pray, pray to get our day started. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Um, just thank you for the opportunity to be here in your presence, in your, in your space. Um, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would be here with us. Lord, I pray that you would use me as your instrument to speak through me and give me the words to say um, that you would like me to speak, that you would like us to hear this morning. Um, Lord, let it not be me, but you. Um, and just help us to have open minds and open ears this morning to um, what you have to say and help us to feel your presence. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so let's get into it. I want to start this morning off with a question. How awesome would life be if all we had to do was know and believe things to be true? Let me, let me phrase it a different way. How great would it be is if everything we knew and believed came true and life was perfect without us doing anything? Be pretty great, right? That'd be pretty awesome. Prime example. Eating fruits and vegetables. Working out. They're all good things but no one likes to do them, right? Like it's way easier to go to McDonald's, buy a couple Big Macs, go home, and binge watch Netflix all day, right? Like that's just easier. Now don't get me wrong, I, I do like working out, but I really hate burpees. Does anybody in here like, it's church, don't lie. Who likes burpees? Okay, that's what I thought, right? No one likes them. And Evan wanted me to do one, but I'm not gonna do it. Um, no one likes doing them, but you have to perform the burpee in order to reap the reward of the exercise, right? And that's how life works. Sometimes it's not easy <laughs> to do the right thing. We know that addictions are bad, yet ourselves and our community still struggle with them. We know that keeping our finances in a good place is the right thing to do. It's the smart thing to do. But yet, who doesn't love binging on that new phone or that new subscription or even that new car, right? Here's the thing. In life, we know what we need to know and we believe what we need to believe. But simply knowing and believing doesn't make a difference in our lives like we wish it would. And our faith is no different. We know what we need to know, right? We've taken the classes, we've gone to the conferences, we competed in Bible Bowl as kids, and we believe what we need to believe. We believe that God is the one true God. We believe that Jesus is the way to everlasting life and that he died on the cross for us so that we could be free. But we don't always put actions with these beliefs and knowledge. And Jesus knew this. I think Jesus knew that we were going to struggle with this idea of action, which is why I think he taught in a certain way. When we read the Gospels and we study the life of Christ, we see Jesus teaching to action. Go and make disciples. Love those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Feed my sheep. And the list goes on and on of these action items that Jesus teaches us, right? Now, don't hear me wrong, though. Like, I mean, faith and belief is core and is central to our lives. It's our starting point. 
It's where we begin this faith journey. But Jesus calls us to so much more. Jesus calls us not to just simply believe, but to do as well. He invited us. He invited his first followers, and he invites us today to do. I want to turn right now to Matthew 25. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can open up. Um, if you've got your phones, that works too. Um, we're going to go to Matthew 25, and Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of heaven. And he tells this parable to his disciples, and he starts out with letting them know um, that this master is going on a journey. And so he looks at three servants, and he divides up his property into three separate amounts of what some versions call talents. In Greek, talantan, it was just a monetary sum of money and amount, and what from scripture we know is about 6,000 denarii, which is about $150 in U.S. Um, and so in silver coins, that's what he gives to these servants, and I know that that was just a big nerd out in front of you. But anyways, just so you know, like, in historically speaking, that's a lot of money, right? Like, this, this is not just pocket change that this master is giving his servants. And so, to one servant, he gives five talents, five bags of silver coins. To another, he gives two. And to the last, he gives one. So let's pick it up there in Matthew 25, verse 16. It says, The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithfully, faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithfully in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I had harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. So there's a lot to unpack in this section of Scripture. What I, what I want to focus on today is what the servants did and the master's response to their actions. So to recap, you know, we have the first two that one's given five, one is given two, and they, they double it, right? They invest it. And the master says, well done, good, faithful servant. How awesome would that be to hear? Like, we all love those compliments from our boss, right? Like, that's a good compliment. Then you have the, what we find out is the loser of the story. No, um, the servant who had the one bag, right? He comes and the response is not as great. Lazy, wicked servant. There's two polar opposite responses is happening. And I can imagine, I use this meme a lot when I'm texting in awkward situations. I can just picture the first two servants like, 
not wanting to look, but still trying to look, you know, like what's happening. Like that last guy is not in a good place, right? The reactions of the master is so different because of what the servants did. And so in the verses that follow, Jesus goes on to speak about the final judgment. And he tells us what you, his followers, did for the least of these, the people who were in need, you did to me. And so I think through scripture and context, you know, when we look at this, what Jesus is saying through this parable and then what follows, I've given you my property. I've given you my people, my sheep. Use it wisely. Don't bury it. Invest. Be active with what I have given you. Go and steward it well. Here's the truth that we have to wrestle with as followers of Jesus today. It's doing or not doing that ultimately makes the difference in our spiritual walk. I'll say it again. It's, it's doing or not doing that ultimately makes the difference in our spiritual walk. Because here's the thing. All three servants probably knew that they should invest what they had been given. But only two of them took the action necessary to do it because one was afraid. So contrary to popular belief, it's really not the thought that counts. It's the action connected to the thought that matters. So one day, Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he extends an invite to the men that would become his disciples. Invite, command, I think it goes hand in hand because what he says in Matthew 4 is, follow me. Growing up in the church, I read the Gospels a lot, and I skipped over that phrase time and time again. Hundreds of times I skipped over that because I just wanted to get to the next part, right? Like, I knew what was coming. It gets really exciting after he says, follow me. So I just skipped over it. We can no longer skip over that phrase, though. We can no longer just breeze past that to get to the rest of the story. Because follow me is an active, personal, and interactive term that Jesus gives to those first century followers. Now, here, now here, don't get mad at me, okay? Here, here's just some real truth real quick. Like, over the centuries, the church has taken this and dumbed it down to simply believe in me. Because follow me is hard. It's hard because the teachings are hard, right? Believe in me is a lot safer. But believe in me leaves you exactly where you are in your faith walk. And like I said in the beginning, you know, believe in me is core, it's central, it's the starting point of where we go on our journey in faith. But Jesus invites us to so much more. He invites us to follow him. Not just simply believe in him. He invites us to live a life that reflects our confidence in God. And Jesus' hope is that our knowledge would propel us towards action for the kingdom. Because God is most honored when we say yes and when we take the actions to put our faith on display. Because Jesus didn't just invite people to believe. He invited people to follow and do. 
And when Jesus says, follow me to those early disciples, when we read after that, we know that what that really meant was leave your jobs and become my constant attendants. Learn from me. See what I'm about to do. Learn what I'm about to teach you because you are going to be the people who go and spread the kingdom to the ends of the earth. And we see that in Scripture that they send, Jesus sends out the disciples to go and do, right? Right off the bat after they've learned a little bit. The disciples learned, and we need to be reminded today, that the ultimate way for us to experience the freedom and the confidence that comes with Christ is by saying yes in obedience to him. We need to trust what he has called us to because Jesus invites us to live a life differently, to live a life that reflects a kingdom that is not of this world. The kingdom that we follow when we follow Jesus is perfect. It's unbroken. It's good. And it's, the, and it's what he declares is the way to life and the way to live a life. Now, Jesus' teachings are challenging, Right? Put others above yourself. Turn the other cheek. Give of your earthly treasures. And maybe that's why over the centuries the church has said, that's too hard. Let's just get people believing. You've attended services. You've taken notes. You've gone to classes. You've done everything that the church has to offer you. And right now Jesus is saying, trust me. Right now, trust what I have in store for your life. Because if you've ever truly taken Jesus' teachings to heart, and you've gone and lived in active faith, you know that the reward is great. But it's not great because you're doing it, and it's not great to give yourself a reward. The reward is great because you see God's kingdom move. You see him put you in the places that you need to be at the right time. We have the very same opportunity right now to participate in kingdom work and bringing God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. And all we have to do is say yes. And saying yes means that we look at God and we bring our weakness, we bring our brokenness, we bring our inability to spread his kingdom without him. And we say, God, use me. Use me for your kingdom. Jumping back in Matthew chapter 7, we see Jesus wrapping up his Sermon on the Mount. And if you've never read the Sermon on the Mount before, I would really encourage you. It's awesome. It's about three chapters. It's great. It's Jesus walking through and giving a kingdom perspective of how to live your life now that, you know, you're listening to him and you want to do what he's saying and you're following him, right? It's awesome. And at the end of the message, Jesus concludes with a promise, And the promise goes something like this. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and knows them, nope, believes in them, nope, screen's not changing, Um, takes notes on them, writes them down. No. What he says is, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now recently I just built a shed in my backyard. You want to talk about a workout? Have you ever built a foundation for a shed? Try digging nine cinder block size holes in Indiana soil. Then we'll talk about workout. Not to mention it was 90 degrees and 200% humidity, but 
I digress, you know. Man, Indiana, you need like a dynamite just to build a bush in your front yard. I mean, it's crazy. Okay. So that's how, that's, you know, that's our perspective. But biblically speaking, building your foundation on the rock was the most important thing to do because it provided the most stability. And building this way was extremely labor-intensive, and it was time-consuming, and it was even more expensive because you had to get people there to help you. But again, it provided the most stability. And we go on to read, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Storms of life will come. But the person who chooses it to do Jesus' way is saying, you know what, I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be time-consuming. I know my neighbor might think I'm crazy for doing it this way. But when the storms of life come, and we've been through a storm. Right? 2020 into 2020. It's been a storm. But when the waves are coming in the Rain is falling and the winds are blowing and it's beating against your house. It's beating against your life. You will not fall. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. What's the foundation of our life? What is the foundation of our life? James, the brother of Jesus, I believe, really drives home this point way more direct than Jesus. You know, the disciples are like, hmm, this is a good parable. I don't know what it means. So James, in chapter 1, verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James had been listening to Jesus for years, and he drops this little nugget of truth right off the bat in his letter to kind of set the stage for what's to come later on. And what James is saying is that faith alone doesn't do any good, and if we think it does, we're deceiving ourselves. It's so easy to retreat to, I believe all the right things. I know all the right things. But if you want to experience God to the fullest, that experience comes on the other side of obedience. When faith and action meet, amazing things happen. I'm going to read Hebrews 11. If you would, turn your Bibles there. You can follow along with me. James chapter 11 is powerful. I'm going to read it. Just let the words soak in. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That we now see did not come from anything that we can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. And God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. 
It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about the things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore, there is no way to count them. All these people died still believing that God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country that they had came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future of his sons, Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's commands. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share in the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. 
It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and sprinkle blood on the doorpost so the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground, but the, when the Egyptians followed, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho seven days and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had been given a friendly welcome to the spies. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Can someone say amen? amen. Holy cow! When faith and action meet, God's kingdom moves every time. Oh my gosh, I love the Bible. I was recently reading a book, and they gave this, and the author gave an analogy about the airport. And it just so happens that I went on a trip this past week using the airport. This is me and my wife. Uh, we're out in Washington visiting my aunt and uncle. If you've never been to the Pacific Northwest, I would very much recommend going. It's like pretty beautiful. I mean, we're kayaking in what's called the Sound. It's just a big lake for us Midwesters, okay? So Mount Rainier's behind us. It's great. It's awesome. Um, I would highly recommend going, but I don't really have eight days to like drive out, drive back. So we flew, right? And as much as we love the Indy Airport, I don't know anyone who goes to the airport to go to the airport, right? Like, it's nice, but I don't, I'm not going there on, like, an anniversary dinner, and if you are, I haven't been married very long, but probably not the best idea, okay? It's probably just because parking's expensive. Um, the airport is the middleman of air travel. Now, track with me. Our faith is no different, okay? So, Let's start. We're in the car, right? We're going to the airport. We start believing in God. This is our foundation. This is, this is where we start. So we're driving, and then we get to the airport. We're here in this space right now. We're listening to messages. We're taking notes. We're hearing God's word, right? And then we get on the airplane to go and do But so often we don't get on the airplane. So often, we get stuck sitting in the airport. And we watch as other people get on flights. And we watch as other people go and do and go and serve their neighbor and go and tell people about Jesus while we sit. Practically speaking, why are we sitting in the airport? We need to get on the plane. If your week, if your Sunday consists of coming here into this space, listening to a message, and then walking out those double doors to your car, you're missing out on so much more. 
You're missing out on community that happens in the lobby over a cup of coffee on the couch. You're missing out on community serving alongside one another in children's ministry, in student ministry, or anywhere else. I want to say this. Say yes. It's time to get on the plane. So I also, I want to share how people in my life who said yes have impacted me dramatically. For those of you who don't know, um, I actually grew up in this church. So I've been running around this church in diapers since I was four. I mean, I'm not currently running around in diapers. You know what I'm saying. Okay, so I've been here for a while. I love this place. This is my home. My spiritual journey has been foundationally built by this place. And I'm forever grateful. And I want to share just two, two people who said yes. The first one is Paul Duke. Now, I know there's a lot of questions about this photo that I don't have time to get into. But Paul was my small group leader from seventh grade till I graduated high school. And Paul taught me so much. Taught me how to get on the roofs of the trailers when no one was looking. Um, taught me how to fill 100 Dixie cups with water in 20 minutes. Um, more importantly, you know, he, he taught me how to do the perfect prank phone call. I mean, Paul's been there for me. But more importantly, Paul taught me through action what it looks like to have your faith propel that. What it looks like to live your faith out in every scenario of your life. When I was struggling with high school and junior high, living in a split home, not knowing um, what God's plan for my future was, Paul was there. And he spoke truth. He spoke wisdom into my life. And Paul was honest with us as well. I mean, he let us know when he had failed in parenting. Let us know when he was struggling with work. Let us know when he was struggling with relationships and friendship. I mean, all of that, Paul showed us how to continue to live even through that wind and that rain. Paul said yes to serving in student ministry, and I'm forever grateful. And the second person I want to talk about is one of my best friends, Jimmy. So Jimmy is my boss, and he's also my youth pastor from when I was six, in sixth grade till I graduated high school. Um, as you can tell, I've been carrying Jimmy a lot. In my, now, this picture was actually taken when I was a junior. I know it kind of looks like yesterday. But Jimmy, I'm forever grateful to Jimmy. He said yes to serving in full-time student ministry. And when I was in my spiritual lows and my spiritual highs, he was there. He was there to help me navigate those times. He was there to speak more wisdom into my life about what I was going to do. And when I told him I wanted to go into full-time ministry in seventh grade, he was like, are you sure? But he continued to walk with me as that passion grew inside of me. And now I get to serve alongside him every day here at Venture. And that is the biggest blessing that I could ever have in my life. He said yes to God's calling and it impacted me. And, you know, I could go on and on. There are so many people in this church. I could talk about Kathy and Rick Harless. I could talk about James and Jenny Hanshue, Kyle Hilgendorf, Nadine and Gary Whistler. The list goes on and on. Jim Melissa Soto. Oh my gosh, Sandy Board. I mean, the list goes on and on to people who said yes to serving 
and it shaped who I am. I'm not standing here today without those people saying yes. And it's amazing to look at my life and look at from four years old to 25, standing on this stage now at my home church, giving a message to my people. That's a pretty cool God story. I love this place. But it was because people said yes and impacted my life. Faith with action makes his kingdom grow every time. And even if we don't see that fruit right away, like those characters that we read about in Hebrews 11, like we might not see it right away. But God reigns and his plan continues on. Hear me clearly. Being a faithful follower of Jesus isn't just about doing good things. There's no scale for how good or bad of a Christian you are. And I'm not telling y'all to quit your jobs and become monks. Like we still need you in the space that God has called you to be. But this is what I am going to challenge you with. Are we prioritizing and putting time in our faith that we need to? Is faith a priority in our life? The church community here has so much to offer you. But more importantly, you have so much to offer this church community. We are all built and wired differently. And that's what makes God's kingdom one of the coolest things to experience. We need to say yes. Use your gifts and abilities here in this place. And, and maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I serve. This message is not for me. Here's my challenge. Bring people into the space that you serve. Share your stories of victories of the kingdom of God with people around you so then they could be motivated and they could be propelled into serving alongside of you. If you're not serving right now, that's okay. But it's time to start. If you're interested in getting involved here, specifically at the church, we've got a place on our website. You can click, it's called the Serve page. Um, it's got all of our opportunities that you could fit in perfectly with us. And maybe you don't know where you want to serve. That's great. Talk to us. We would love to be there for you. If you're scared or nervous about going on that mission trip, maybe about sharing your faith with a coworker, a neighbor, maybe jumping into foster care, maybe tithing for the first time, it's time to say yes. It's time to say yes to God's plan because he's got you. Here at Venture, we're seeking Jesus and we're seeing you, but also we as a community here, we choose to love courageously, to speak truthfully, and to share generously. Church family, it's time to get on the plane. It's time to go work for his kingdom and make some disciples.